0: This edition of the Matt Brown Show is powered by IT Web Events. The Matt Brown Show. This is the Matt Brown Show. Matt Brown. Matt Brown. Matt Brown Show. The Matt. The Matt Brown. The Matt Brown Show. This is the Matt Roblox Show. Cybersecurity affects businesses of all sizes. Whether you are a major corporate or whether you are running a small enterprise, the ability of your business and its IT infrastructure to protect you from cyber attacks is becoming more and more important in the digitally connected business ecosystem that we find ourselves living in today. But perhaps the biggest consideration to be made in the cybersecurity space is the fact that the problem of cybersecurity isn't one that gets solved. It never goes away because of the evolution of technology and the ever-growing demands of a remote workforce and connected employees. On this episode, I speak to Nick Dawson. He is the Global Director of Knox Strategy and Business Development for Samsung Electronics in Korea. And we explore why cybersecurity matters, for businesses and executives, how to detect and prevent cybersecurity threats, and how to protect your company data, and much, much more. So without further ado, enter Nick Dawson. Hey guys, welcome back to the Matt Brown Show. I have with me on the line from Korea, uh, Mr. Nick Dawson, who's the Director of Knox Strategy and Business Development at Samsung Electronics. How are you doing, Nick?
1: I'm doing really well, Matt. Thanks for asking, and I hope you are too.
0: I am. I'm doing great. Thank you. Thank you very much for asking. I don't actually know. A lot of people don't actually ask me how I'm doing these days. It's like, let's just get straight into the meat and the potatoes, you know?
1: Oh, they're horrible people. They probably come from our competitors, Matt. I wouldn't listen to them at all.
0: We won't mention names though, hey? <laughs> all righty, cool. So we're going to talk about uh, cybersecurity uh, today on this episode. So why don't we set some context up for our listeners? Why does cybersecurity or network security matter for corporates and business owners today in your view?
1: Well, I mean, there's there's probably far too many answers to that question Mm -hmm. to fit it all into one show, Matt. But I mean, broadly speaking, I'm reminded of a conversation I had some months ago with uh, the CIO of one of our major banking clients uh, out there in the big bad world. And I've, I've known this gentleman for well over a decade, and uh, and I was saying, you know, shouldn't we have solved all of this by now, all of this security nonsense? And it and, it, and, it, and, it's, and it's relatively boring and dry stuff, Matt. I mean, talking about cybersecurity is not going to make you new friends at a cocktail party. Uh, I know because I've tried. But it never goes away. Uh, attacks continue to evolve as features of devices, and devices aren't just phones and tablets and computers. As we get into the IoT, World with new types of devices that we interact with, or sometimes don't interact with at all, but in different ways. Um, there are new attack vectors coming all the time, and the bad guys, as I call them, uh, you know, are increasingly sophisticated, uh, very smart people, and there's an awful lot of information. We are tied to our electronic devices, whatever shape or form they may take, whether it's in a personal sense or a business sense. And there's just so much information and data. And the way it can be used against an individual is, is astounding. And so the problem never goes away. We're always, always trying to stay ahead of the curve. And uh, as we develop new features, we have to develop new ways to defend and protect them.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I think just, you know, looking at... Um, kind of cyber security threats, I guess, they seem to be multiplying at an exponential rate these days. Um, and to pick it to echo your points, it's like we never really prepared enough, if that makes sense. And I'm not sure whether the answer sits in detection or prevention, and we can discuss that potentially a bit later. But if you think about it, like just this year alone, there was double pulsar, and if you remember that, uh, which was a hack mm-hmm. through the network backdoor tool. Then there was Eternal Blue, which attacks the server message block, and more recently, uh, the big one, which literally, uh, you know, crippled the WPP network globally. So any Windows-based machine got crippled through this ransomware, and that was called WannaCry. And so yeah. it was, and I guess you probably know, but it used the crypto worm to effectively encrypt company data, and the only way to unlock that was to pay three hundred dollars in Bitcoin, which for me was a super, <laughs> a super low cost uh, price point to get your data back.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. So, so they they didn't price themselves out of the market, at least uh, on on that one, which would have perhaps been a foolish thing to do. They made it pretty easy for people. But part of the issue, I think, Matt, is also that there's just an increasing awareness uh, about all of this. Um, I I think in, in a large enterprise or government IT department, the awareness has always been there. I think that awareness, though, has now spread out to the consumer world. And at the end of the day, even those of us going into the office, whether it's a small, medium business or a large enterprise, we're all consumers as well. We just have this increasing awareness of some of these problems that are out there. Uh, you know, they're more in the forefront. And that's part of the issue because you know, the exponential growth, yes, far more attacks today than there used to be, far more sophisticated attacks than there used to be, but much greater awareness, which seems to exacerbate uh, the problem in the eyes of many.
0: So just an obvious question, how should we respond to these kinds of attacks
1: on our business infrastructure? Well, you made a good point a few moments ago, Matt. Uh, there's there's uh, prevention first of all, and then there's uh, you know solving the problem once it's actually happened to you. I, I mean, obviously, the very first thing to do is to prevent, to inoculate yourself, if you will, uh, against an attack as best you can. No security model anywhere on the wor- in the world from anyone is going to be perfect. Uh, but you can do an awful lot of things as an individual and then as a business to inoculate yourself to protect yourself against it. Attacks and certainly common types of attacks. That's number one. Number two is to constantly monitor your computing environment and your systems uh, from top to bottom, end to end, to make sure that you understand what the various attack vectors, as we call them, are. Um, do you really understand? You know what the threats are out there. Do you know how to look for them? And if you find something, you know, then deal with it. Isolate, contain, deal with the issue immediately. And part of part of the problem uh, along those lines is it's imperative for businesses, uh, in particular, to ensure that they have the right personnel and the right people looking at these issues and monitoring their cybersecurity posture. I, you know, and this is absolutely—I do not mean to offend anybody by saying this—but uh, quite often business leaders just look at the IT department. I say that in quotes as this, you know blob of people out there all with a common skill set. You know, they fix my phone, they fix the printer, they install things, etc. But there are varying skill sets within an IT department. You would not go to, you know, a general practitioner or doctor uh, to get brain surgery. Uh, Similarly, if you're talking cybersecurity, make sure you have access to the right people, either on staff or as consultants, uh, that really know what they're talking about, what to look for.
0: Yeah, just to pick up on your point around skills, because it seems to me, uh, just objectively looking at the marketplace, that because cybersecurity is continually evolving, uh, with that comes the need for new skills in the area of, or the areas, I should say, you know, data governance, analytics, uh, security intelligence, for example. So I call this like the knowledge economy. So what can businesses do to ensure that they have the necessary skills to protect against cybersecurity threats?
1: Well, the necessary skills are, you know, to, you know, to just make sure that you're not getting somebody who, who who simply understands network monitoring infrastructure. That's one part of the skill set, but you really need probably a collection of individuals who require executive sponsorship. And the larger the organization, the more important it is to have executive sponsorship. Somebody who is going to sit there and say, "Listen." If this team of people, regardless of how large or small it is, say that we have a problem, then we have a problem and we have to trust them and we have to follow what they do. But you're probably going to be talking about a team of people who have different skill sets. Some people are going to understand uh, hardware components a little more. Some people are going to understand a little bit more the software systems and how they interact the end of the day, a lot of this is about connection points. It's about data, first of all, that we need to remember. People are after data because it's worth money, uh, either to themselves or to sell to someone else. Uh, that's the fundamental uh, attack, target, is, is the data. There's a variety of different data transacts, different networks, different systems, and you need somebody who understands where all the connection points are. Are those secure? You need somebody who understands the interface layer between your office systems and your mobile network operator out there in the world. And what type of gear do they use? It goes on and on from there. So it's a collective. You don't just hire someone out of school to do this on day one. There's experience that goes into it. But it's really a collection of skill sets. And it's, it's hard to iterate what they all are. But you need somebody to start at the top, really take a look at it. Dive into it, figure out, depending on your business, what have you got, what do you use in terms of technology, and therefore, from that point, what might be at risk. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, great. So I want to talk to you about um, the software infrastructure solution side of the sort of, uh, you know, cybersecurity uh, discussion in a minute. But I want to just jump back a step and talk about this point that we were talking or kind of tabling here around detection versus prevention. So in my view, prevention is oftentimes better than a cure. But it seems to me that with so many connections being made to a company network, Uh, you know, through mobility, essentially, and remote working and so forth. And then there's Internet of Things and sensors, and the network connectivity is just exponentially expanding. Uh, But when you look at mobile and over-the-top services, for example, it's becoming increasingly harder to manage the risk of network security uh, with so Mm -hmm. many of these new connections being made. So what are some of the common ways that uh, network security is compromised within that context?
1: Well, uh, the starting point to answer that is everybody needs to understand, and I think it's obvious to people today, but but I'll iterate it just, just to make sure we're all on the same page. In the old days, uh, again, in quotes, uh, if we go back a decade plus… Network security was actually a relatively simple thing to do. Connect all of the computers and printers, et cetera, within the office and firewall yourselves off from the outside world so that you have a controlled boundary between you and the outside world. Mobility, of course, introduced a whole new set of problems because now we have devices and have had for a decade plus now, devices that live beyond the boundaries of our firewall. They're roaming on somebody else's network, and it may be a very friendly local neighborhood network. Work operator or carrier, uh, that's fine, but they might be roaming in a different country now. They're on a network that you don't know much about. Uh, the point is is these devices left the confines of the house, if you will, and uh, are much, much more difficult to keep an eye on them and to secure them and the data in transit between those devices and the rest of your infrastructure. IoT, by the way, is just another example. Extension of that exact same model. IoT is really uh, just a different form of mobility. These are devices that will typically exist beyond the boundaries of a physical office or corporate network, but are connected to it remotely over the air, uh, most likely, and are feeding data backwards and forwards. And the problem with IoT, just like it was with mobile devices, smartphones, and tablets, is that all of these computing devices are nodes on your network. And because they're nodes on your network, they may not necessarily even have any data of value on them, but they're a connection point to the rest of the network, and they're a gateway. And the bad guys are going to attack those gateways. And IoT is actually a particularly uh, bad problem right now because I think it's probably evident to most of us these days that if we hold a phone or a tablet or even a laptop computer uh, in our hands and we work on those, we interact with these types of devices on a regular basis. It's obvious to us, because we see them all the time, that we need to secure them. Not everybody knows how to do that, but it's, it's an obvious leap that we need to secure them. But if I have a perimeter sensor, out in, you know, some agricultural construct somewhere, measuring soil conditions and weather data. That's the node on my network that I don't see, I don't interact with on a regular basis. Out of sight, out of mind, uh, it's a lot more likely that someone forgets to protect that node on the network. So that's just sort of, you know, something that we need to think about. But to go back to your point, prevention is critical. Uh, prevention is far, far easier than solving a problem once it's occurred. Um, you know, if we've been able to stop the WannaCry, for example, then nobody would have had to go through the hassle of paying the $300 in Bitcoin, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and prevention starts with the devices themselves. We need to remember that de- Devices are made up of several layers, and it doesn't matter, again, who the manufacturer is, what the operating system is, but any computing device, there's a, a fundamentally, there's a hardware layer. It has lots of little sub-layers, of course, but there's a hardware layer. There's then an operating system layer on top of it, and then on top of that, there's an application layer, the apps that do various things for us. And You need to ensure that you are securing all of these layers. Um, you know, and that's a big part of what I do here at Samsung with our Knox platform. In fact, is we talk about providing end to end security and then feature management beginning in the hardware up through the various layers of the operating system to the application layer, as opposed to just putting in place a third party solution after the fact that just sits at the application layer, but has no ability to affect any change or provide any security inherently to the underlying operating system or hardware layers. So that was a long answer, but... Uh,
0: it was uh, a good one, though.
1: There. there you go. Yeah, <laughs> it's, It really comes down to protect the whole thing. Take a holistic view of this. Just buying some security software is not good enough these days. You need to protect the hardware. You need to trust the operating system. And then you also, through that, are able to protect the applications themselves.
0: Mm. So I, it was you're almost preempting my next question, which was to talk around the kind of software infrastructure um, that the typical IT personnel works with or installs within their organizations. So just to pick up on your point, there's obviously the software and hardware uh, sort of point of view or perspective. But when you look at more you know specialized software infrastructure like enterprise mobility management or mobile device management. Uh, in the context of managing network security, where are the gaps? Like, what are the most common, uh, you know, sort of things that IT personnel or executives overlook in the context of the implementation of software infrastructure to protect network security?
1: Yeah, yeah, and I did sort of start to preempt that question with my answer to the last one. Uh, but it's it's so first of all, EMM or MDM software. Uh, some people. Starting to call it UEM, Unified Endpoint Management, to reflect uh, the IoT world as well. But regardless of the acronym, um, first of all, we partner with every leading EMM vendor in the world. Uh, they're great friends of ours and they do a wonderful job. Uh, um, to the extent that they can. And that's where I sort of diverge a little bit from their story. Um, An EMM solution is fundamentally just a software application that runs on your device. They'll typically provide, for example, a containerized work environment so that you can keep your work applications and data separate from your personal applications and data. And the reason we want to do that on a mobile device is that if I do something remarkably silly on the personal side of my device, perhaps you know, didn't mean to do it, but I, I clicked on a link and I downloaded some malicious software or something. If I've containerized all of my work applications and data and effectively created a separate world under the control of my IT department for those, um, then anything I. Anything I've done that's silly on the personal side of the device won't affect anything on the work side of the device. We have two completely isolated environments separately encrypted uh, for protective reasons. The problem with an EMM solution, in my you is that it's merely an application. So it sits at the application layer on the device, but an EMM solution does not have privileged access to the operating system. And it certainly doesn't have privileged access to the hardware. And if I were to draw a diagram in your mind's eye, where I have application as a block at the top, and then below it, I have operating system. And then below that, I have hardware. The lower my level of access that. diagram, the greater my level of privilege. and If I'm just protecting things at that top application layer, but the bad guys have access to things at the operating system or hardware layer, they effectively have far greater privilege on the device, and they can make that EMM solution disappear they can make that emm solution disappear in such a way that it looks like it's still there and protecting you i can gain if i can gain root privileged access to a device at that at the kernel the very core of the operating system the very first thing that boots up when when we start up a mobile device, for example, or a desktop computer as well. If I can gain access to that kernel, I have the most highly privileged access on that device, and I can make it do anything I want and unbeknownst to you, the user or owner of the device. So we need something that goes beyond just that application emm layer you need to look at your hardware vendor and ensure that you're buying hardware that itself comes with security defenses built in at the chipset layer the memory component layer and then the operating system layer and that's what we do at samsung with our knox platform it is designed to protect the integrity of the device itself and it works with emm solutions uh, from all of the major vendors around the world, and, in fact, over 100 EMM different solutions around the world. Uh, and it is activated and managed by those, but it's a far more holistic construct top to bottom rather than just being an application, a very specialized application, but an application that doesn't have access to some of the key critical defenses that are built into the device.
0: Got it. Uh, just a while back, you are talking about you know executive or board level sponsorship um so can we chat about that cuz i think it's an interesting discussion that we can have
1: yeah, absolutely. So first of all, there's two things with a couple of things with executives—not just two, but one of them is when we talk about security, um, they can actually be one of the biggest security gaps in an organization, and not intentionally. But if you think about it, an executive of an organization typically has access to you know far more information, a lot of strategic information and data about the organization than just a regular employee might. Um, regular employee might have information about their particular function, but the executive. have a a holistic view of the whole organization. So they're actually the people that are under attack the most um, by by these bad guys, as as I call them, for obvious reasons. But they also happen to be quite often the people who have some of the more lax defenses in place. Because if an executive goes to his IT department, and an IT department could be one person, it could be 100 people, It depends on the organization. But if an executive goes to the IT department and says, look, I find it really cumbersome to have to log into my device every five minutes, or to use this particular application that you've put in place, or it, whatever it may be, whatever security construct you put in place. Take this away. Well, the IT department really doesn't have much of a choice, right? They're going to sit there. The big boss told me to turn all of this stuff off to make their lives easier, and so they do it. So now you have the people who are most susceptible to attack, who might be in a position where they have the most lax security. This has happened throughout you know the computing history and it does continue to happen today i'm happy to say a little less than it used to but it does continue to happen today people need to be aware of that but to come back to sponsorship fundamentally cybersecurity is a core discipline within an organization and it's not just about it you know it is information technology what are we doing these computing environments are all about having the tools and the processes in place and the capabilities in place to create and consume vast amounts of data. That's what most of our businesses are built on, whether it's sales data, research data, um, you know, exploration data, if you're in the oil and gas industry, it goes on. It's the data that we're trying to protect. And cybersecurity must not be thought of as simply some weird technological thing. It's about protecting the core essence of your business. Uh, And if that's the case, then it needs absolutely needs executive-level sponsorship. Because if somebody from the IT slash cybersecurity department shows up and says, listen, we have a problem... There's a way to mitigate this problem. It may cost money or we have to change the way we do something. There's going to be great resistance to this internally. And there needs to be executive level sponsorship to understand and be able to defend that position to say, look, this is critical. This is critical to our very existence that we take Uh, stock of our situation and that we pay attention to the advice that we're getting from our experts, be they internal or external.
0: ITWeb's Enterprise Mobility Event is a must-attend event featuring experts from across industry presenting on topic-relevant subjects, case studies from SAA and West Bank, live interviews, The latest trends unveiled by Frost & Sullivan, and for the first time, a 10-minute tech expose from three solutions providers and a scheduled speed networking event. The event will be held on the 30th of August, that's a Wednesday, in Summer Place from 8.30 in the morning to 4.30 in the afternoon, in Summer Place in Hyde Park, Johannesburg. And here's the best thing. The event is free to attend for the qualified end user. For further information, contact Allison at itweb.co.za. That's Allison, A L L Y S O N, at itweb.co.za. And we will see you on the 30th of August. I just want to talk more around, uh, if you don't mind. More, I want to kind of expand on executive and board level sponsorship with regards to actually making investments into cybersecurity. Because oftentimes, I find that it almost comes as a, as a surprise. It's like surprise, hello! You actually need to make these kind of investments to protect your company
1: data, right? Mm-hmm. So, and when, and, so go I was ahead. just going to. Yeah, I was just going to say, sorry, Matt. And it's not just making a one-time investment. People need to understand that this is, you know, it's like paying a mortgage or, or rent on something. You need to continuously make the investment because the attacks will change, the dangers will change, uh, features and capabilities enhance, and you need to put in place new defenses. You, you need to constantly upgrade and update. I'm not suggesting that anybody needs to spend 50% of their revenue on cybersecurity. No. But you do need to be aware that it is an ongoing investment and it's a continuing one, and you should budget for that. Yeah, I mean,
0: to your point, cybersecurity isn't a problem that gets solved. Uh, it literally doesn't go away, you know. Um, no. so, so, when you look at investments, uh, let's just say you have a, an executive that's going, okay, I, I believe, you know, this is a problem. We need to protect our data. Potentially, we need to upweight what we're investing into cybersecurity initiatives. What advice do you have for that executive who may be listening to us right now in terms of the extent to which money should be spent, one, and two, what should it be spent on?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, uh, well, what it should be spent on could be a trickier one, because it may depend from industry to industry and business to business. Um, but but if we go back to just some broad brushstrokes concepts here, I think the first thing is whoever the executive sponsor is going to be, they need to read up on this. They need to go out and they need to read up and, and gain a, a better understanding. Not of all the nitty gritty details. They don't need to know all of the acronyms in our industry and the history of everything, but they need to un- have a fundamental understanding of what types of threats are out there. They then need to assess internally within their organization do I have the resources? That understand this? Do I have people who know more about it than I do um, and that I can empower? And if I don't have those people internally, I need to go out and find some people. And they don't necessarily need to be internal employees. It depends on the size of the business. They could be just uh, a consulting organization or system integrator that we call upon from time to time to do an assessment or to help us out. There are companies that do this for a living. I would say, you know, ask around. Ask some of your peers in the industry. Uh, You know, maybe not your number one competitor because they may lead you down the wrong path. Uh, but uh, you know, ask around, gain some knowledge uh, about what, what resources are available to you. You don't feel pressured to go out and do something next Tuesday. Uh, you know, take some time to assess your situation, but do understand that you are probably going to need to do more than you're doing today. And you're probably going to have to make sure that there's some money available for it. Uh, How much money and what needs to be done will depend on the industry, but I would say you need to look at several critical components within most organizations. You need to look at your internal network. Is it built? Is it up to date? Is everything uh, running on the latest version of an operating system? Do we have a procedure in place to ensure that all of our devices, whether they be a desktop computer running Mac OS X or Windows or uh, a mobile device running, say, Android uh, like ours do, are they all up to date? Do we have a process to security patch these Who are our vendors? Where are we buying this equipment from? Where's it made? Do these vendors have security certifications from governments that we know and trust, uh, from third party, um, uh, third party institutions like a Gartner or a Forrester or something like that? What are we buying? What are we using? Take stock of what you have. And in a lot of cases, Uh, it's a bit like doing a budget. Don't look at what you've got today. Start with a blank sheet of paper. If I were to start over and build something, what would it look like? Now let's compare that to what I've got today and what are the differences? What are the deltas and how do we fix them?
0: Yeah, I totally agree with those sentiments. Um, Just, I would love to kind of sidestep and actually dive into a little bit more around cybersecurity strategy, because I think there are some very hard realities that govern cybersecurity. So, for instance, uh, you can't protect everything equally. You almost need to find a way to control only what matters to a lesser or larger extent. So cybersecurity strategy is, of course, a critical component of what we are talking about today. And so my question to you is, how should executives approach the design side of a cybersecurity strategy?
1: I think it comes back to uh, the fundamental premise that data is king. So what you're trying to protect is the data and anything that interacts with that data. So it could be storage. uh, It could be an application that interacts with data. Fundamentally, you need to protect the data. And uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's an attempt sometimes, I think, to as you were pointing out, to try to protect everything equally. And it's good to protect everything. But um, if I have something insanely valuable in my house, yes, I have a lock on my front door and I have an alarm system. But I mean, if somebody really wants to get through all of that stuff, they can but the most but I don't leave the most sensitive information just lying around on the counter in my kitchen. I might then have it in a safe locked away in a different room. Take, take stock of what's most valuable and most important to you and focus on protecting that. And you need to protect it, especially in the mobile world, in different ways. You need to protect data and the applications that interact with that data. On the device. So let's assume it's a smartphone or a tablet. You need to have some form of, in our lingo, we call it a container. Uh, some people might refer to it as a sandbox. It's an isolated environment on a computing device in which uh, you over which an IT department has complete control of features, management. They can lock things down, they can prevent you from accessing certain other. Functions, they can mandate and dictate what you can download, upload, etc. They have the IT department has full control over this uh, containerized environment. Uh, on our devices at Samsung, it's called Knox Workspace and it's an isolated environment, completely separate from the rest. And within that environment, you wrap that, uh, and, and Knox Workspace, for example, comes wrapped in overlapping defense and security mechanisms designed to protect the integrity of the device. We protect the entire perimeter of the phone or the tablet, but fundamentally, we pay far, far, far more attention to what's in that workspace. If someone's going to go out on the personal side of the device, outside of that container, and download some strange application that might have malware, well, so be it. I probably cannot stop them from doing that. I could. I could turn off the ability for any one of my employees to download anything onto their device. Now they're not going to use that device. They're simply going to use something else. They're going to sidestep my security model because um, it's not conducive to them living the, w- the way they want to live. That's one of the dangers, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at, is you can have An overbearing security model that tries to lock everything down and control everything. And your employees will find a way to work around that model. This has been proven over and over and over again. I've seen it so many times, it's frightening. What you need to do is control and lock down and manage those things that are most important for you. Leave some leeway and flexibility on those things that are not So that people can use these devices the way that they want to and explain to employees, this is why your work applications and your work data are in this Knox workspace container using my terminology Mm -hmm. over here. It's because it's vital to our business. It's vital to your own personal safety that you don't, you know, let anything access this. Mm -hmm. We must protect it, but I'm going to give you freedom on the rest of your device, because I've got a lockdown controlled area. So it comes back to focus on what's important. Don't try to do everything.
0: Yeah, I suppose what we're really talking about here is staff education, right? Because uh, I don't know I don't know if this is still the true more broadly around the world, but especially in South Africa, phishing is a real thing. So mm-hmm. for, for many listeners who may not know what that means, effectively, it's a fronting. So you have a yep. cyber criminal who fronts pretending to be a bank or pretending to be your logon screen for your remote working access you know, through a VPN. So they're using data packet sniffing to effectively hijack your remote connection with your uh, with your network. So, yep. landing the point about staff education, how important is it actually today?
1: Massively. Probably the most important thing you can do. And a lot of people may roll their eyes at it and, and be dismissive of it. Um, and i'm talking about the staff themselves but they need to understand that the dangers are out there and they're very real and in fact i mean we've seen phishing attacks recently there was a prankster out of the uk who sent some emails to uh very very senior members of uh, the white house administration in the u.s pretending to be one of their colleagues in fact pretending to be the president's son-in-law and they just had a a @mail.com or outlook.com or something like that email address but they just put this person's name on the front of it and nobody thought to look and they got all sorts of interesting information out of people it's it's frightening um it staff education is massive in fact the the greatest danger frankly, to an organization today still remains internal employees. And there's two types. There's those with malicious intent. They're very difficult to defend against. They're difficult to defend against because they know what the security systems are. They know where they are. And so they can probably be a little bit more creative in trying to get around them, which is why it's important to have layers of defenses and lots of people monitoring them or systems monitoring them for you. But uh, equally dangerous, and I think far more numerous, is just the regular everyday employee who does something on their, on their mobile device uh, unwittingly, unknowingly. They click on a link. They were sent a text message. They downloaded an application. They had no malicious intent whatsoever. But now they've done something, and they've given someone access to their mobile phone which in turn is connected wirelessly to the corporate network. And again, we have this concept of the mobile device now being a gateway to the rest of the network. And I've seen this happen. I've seen this happen to financial institutions. For example, I can think of, I'm not going to name names, where there was actually no data on the phone that was really of any value, but... The attacker gained control of the phone and used it as a gateway to the rest of the network, ran around the network undetected for some period of time. And a lot of bad things happened to some very good people. And the organization didn't know about it until they started getting calls about fraudulent transactions and identity theft, et cetera, et cetera. These are very real risks. They happen every day. Staff education is important. I would say a quick point, though. Don't make staff education boring. Uh, make it about them. Staff needs to understand that they may be personally liable, that their career could be in danger if they do something, that there is a direct impact to them. It's not just an impact to the business itself, but there's a corollary impact to them as an individual as well. And if you put it in those terms, people are probably more likely to pay attention to what you're saying, but they just need education. And it's, and it's fairly simple. We use these systems. This is why. These are the types of things that you need to look out for and be aware of.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with those sentiments. I think corporate learning is not where it should be in many uh, sort of contexts and, and subject matters. But, um, but diving into, uh, I want to talk about development uh, operations more specifically, because it seems to me that the time to market has shortened. A lot, mainly thanks to uh, you know the adoption of agile development methodologies. Uh, for example, I'm not saying that's the only thing, <laughs> but we've become very good at iterative uh, releases of technology. So it kind of creates an endless connection between uh, development and operations, which means it's important to obviously bring security to development operations, and especially if the team is not internal to the business, which uh, a lot of um, companies do outsource a lot of their dev. So if they are outsourcing work to uh, external development uh, teams, uh, what should they look for in terms of the security that the service providers um, have on the table? Um, and more importantly, what type of security should businesses look to implement when it comes to uh, development operations?
1: I think one of the interesting things there, Matt, would be if we have this notion of there being a cybersecurity team, again, whether it be in-house employees or an external organization that gets hired from time to time, uh, I I think one one of the things I would do is maybe keep that team separate from the development team as a check and a balance, first of all, because if, uh, and, and most organizations out there, if they have something developed, they have it developed by someone else for them. I mean, there are some, some companies in the world, Samsung is one, we have the resources to develop in-house. So we do, uh, not everybody else does, but if you, if you, then you have people go out and they develop, for example, an application. I would then have my cybersecurity team. You know, take a look at it and test it. Uh, they're going to know what to look for. They're going to know what gaps to look for. You know, are you using you know acceptable security protocols? Have you built in X, Y, Z? Uh, in into this application. The cybersecurity team can come up with a baseline in advance for the application developers to say, listen, we want you to develop this application, but you must keep these things in mind and you must do these other things over here or else you will not pass go. You will not collect $200. Um, that's one of the things I would do. I would also consider the platforms. What platforms are being used? Are these trusted? Are these known? And by I don't just mean the development platform itself or the development environment that's being used because it inherently isn't going to provide any security. But what am I running this application on? Do I trust the actual device it's on? And again, we get back to this concept of the application layer is fundamentally separate from the operating system and the hardware layers. Do I trust the actual foundation that the application is running on? And now I'm talking about that OS and hardware level construct, because if I don't trust that, then I can't trust anything else. Those are some of the things that I would keep in mind. I mean, obviously, then there's, you know, do they have a good reputation, etc., 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 but I think those are, those are given. Speaking of
0: trust, I think uh, cloud computing is beginning to mature. Uh, but in South Africa, you have Friki, the CTO, who the corporate trusts to protect their network through firewalls, gateways, and things like identity, authentication management. But there is this thing called the cloud, you know, run by reputable companies like Amazon, who seem to know quite a lot about cloud-based computing and network security. And yet, And I'm not saying this is indicative around the world, but more specifically in South Africa, you have corporates that still think that Fricke and his infrastructure can do a better job at network security, uh, which is interesting because from a distribution perspective, there's cost savings on the table, etc. So from a network security perspective, how should executives decide on who to trust and who not to trust?
1: Mm, mm. yeah um that's a good one and then and you are you're talking really about control if it's if it's you know something that's network based on my own network in-house versus uh cost savings and flexibility with a cloud computing environment yeah uh you know and th- these these are the trade-offs that people need to need to analyze uh i would say this about cloud uh first of all the number one one question I always ask is, where is it? Where's the data? The cloud isn't just a nebulous thing actually up in the sky. There's there's a there's a data center somewhere on somebody's network. Uh, there is a physical point where that cloud touches the ground. Where is that? Where is that data? And who has access to that data? And by who, I don't just mean the, you know, say an Amazon or a Microsoft. Uh, I I think, you know, by and large, we can trust them. But, uh, you know, what governments might have access to this data? Is the data being replicated in many places uh, for security reasons, just in case one node on the network goes down? Who has access to these nodes? Um, What are the security credentials um, in place for employees of that cloud company? Because you know, it's in the cloud. Great, but there's somebody who works in that data center who has access to it. Who are they? You know, have they been certified? Um, where do they come from? These are questions I ask. It's all about where. The other thing is absolutely right. It's about identification and authentication. You know, can you guarantee a foolproof construct? where I identify myself and authenticate myself in a way that nobody else can spoof it. And there are many, many ways of doing this. uh, And there are some great ways. And in fact, the entire industry has matured to a point where this is actually quite easy, fairly seamless to do. Uh, um, And uh, I I don't think we need to to, to go into a great deal of detail on it. There are some very reputable vendors out there uh, and some large organizations. There are some smaller ones. Um, but it, it comes down to where's the data? What data are you storing there? Do you have access to it? Can you get the data back if that cloud service provider you just de- you decide that you don't want to deal with them anymore? By and large, the industrys answered these questions, but that's the fundamental to me.
0: Yeah, absolutely just a couple more questions for you Nick. Um, I want to talk about cyber risk insurance. Uh, is it where it needs to be? because for me, if you think about the fact that you know this problem never really goes away, meaning that, the organizational risk is never really off the table from a cybersecurity perspective. So having said that, when you're looking at your operational risk strategy, you would consider, surely, the the use of a cyber risk type of insurance product. Uh, More specifically, it may be blanket cover extensions to existing risks, or it might apply to reputational damage or whatever the case is. So looking globally, is cyber risk insurance where it needs to be in your view? Uh,
1: Probably not where it needs to be, no. I think it's actually a very, very nascent concept out there. Uh, The concept, uh, certainly in very large organizations of a risk management office, has been around for quite some time, clearly, uh, and probably more mature in organizations such as financial services. Um, uh, But to answer the direct question, no i don 't think it's where it needs to be, but I think it's an evolving concept. How do I insure against an attack when i don 't necessarily know what it might be and 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 what I mean by that if if I can just sort of dumb it down really for my own purpose uh, to, to be able to explain it is if I take out some sort of you know insurance on my house uh, you know I might insure for specific things like an earthquake or a hurricane or whatever it may be. If I don't know what the risk is, how do I insure against it? Is one of one of the the, the problems I think that the industry wrestles with, first of all. And then the second is, you know, can I place a a financial figure on what the actual risk to my business is? If somebody penetrates my network, uh, now, if I deal with a lot of client data, if I'm a hospital system, if I'm a bank, and I've got an awful lot of very, very sensitive personal information that by law needs to be protected. Um, my 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 risk is probably far greater than you know if I'm running, you know, a, a grocery store chain or something like that. Uh, that needs to be evaluated. But it's probably not where it needs to be, but I think probably because it's evolving still.
0: Yep, agree with you completely. Uh, one last question. When you look at cybersecurity moving forward into uh, twenty eighteen What are some of the top-line trends uh, that you see developing currently that IT personnel, business owners, and executives should look out for?
1: I think 2018, which is, I mean, we're almost there. So here, you know, in a company like Samsung, you know, we've already got our our 2018 roadmap pretty much uh, fleshed out. Still discussing a few points on it. Uh, Twenty eighteen, I think what's evolving is we're seeing you know greater adoption of cloud, uh, and we're seeing greater adoption of IoT, the Internet of Things. And and I, I need to caution people on IoT because I think I, I hear an awful lot of people around the world talk about IoT as if it's coming uh, and it's just around the corner. Uh, it's not. It's here. It's already been here for some time. Uh, there are an awful lot of devices out. They're connected to networks, and you need to secure and manage those devices in much the same way you secure and manage a desktop computer or a mobile phone. You need to take a look at that. I think 2018, we're going to see a little bit more focus on, on those types of things, on expanding our perception of the cybersecurity threat beyond the simple phone, tablet, tablet, computer environments that's probably the immediate going a little further beyond that we get into some interesting stuff you know we're going to be with 5g networks are just around the corner uh, artificial intelligence is is going to create a whole new host of problems and ai today tends to be voice inputs into a computing device such as a phone for example but it could be your desktop um, at, at replacing you know, typing on a keyboard and taking some data and contextualizing it so that, for example, my phone knows that I need to get on a plane at 6 p.m. this evening and it sees that there's traffic between me and the airport. It's going to let me know, hey, you need to leave a little bit earlier. That's what AI is today, fundamentally. But AI, the way we see it Samsung, is going to evolve far beyond that. And it's going to replace an awful lot of repetitive and in some cases, again, I don't mean to insult anyone, but somewhat mundane tasks. An example. New employee comes into an organization. The IT department has to set up accounts and passwords and you know install software on computing devices and phones and things like that. All of that could be automated. It's all just rote work that gets done over and over and over again. All of it could be automated. And where AI comes into play is to be able to make that determination that this person was hired in this location for this type of job. Therefore, I'm going to kick off this process to, to onboard that employee. And you can always... Uh, as a human, take over the process and interject on it. But AI is going to do more and more repetitive work for us. Because of that, it becomes a risk factor in and of itself. If somebody can get into that AI system, they can then start messing with other areas of the business. That, as we go forward throughout 2018, 2019, 2020, is going to become uh, a- an increasing problem. It's a new set of attack vectors that we'll have to consider.
0: Mm. yeah absolutely agree it's going to be an exciting time though um, having said all of that to you
1: <laughs> oh yeah it's going to be great it's going to be great we just have to be aware you know with the positives there's always a little bit of risk and we just have to be aware of it
0: nick dawson that concludes your time in the hot seats on the Mac brown show it's been an absolute privilege having you on the show
1: well listen thanks matt it was great chatting with you and uh, i hope you enjoy the rest of the day and uh give us a shout anytime
0: will do thanks nick all the best Oh, all right, cheers. Ciao, ciao. So there you have it guys. IT Webs Enterprise Mobility Event is of course a must attend event where you can meet your peers, colleagues and competitors at this pertinent event. Share know-how, lessons learned and hear from key vendors and engage in meaningful discussion. You can gain insight into the latest disruptive innovations, the evolution of the enterprise mobility space, the role of machine learning, AI, the Internet of Things, and much, much more. You really cannot afford not to attend, and as I mentioned earlier, this is a free event. So you can register your free seat today by emailing Allison at itweb.ca.ca. That's A-L-L-Y-S-O-N at itweb.co.za or call 011-807-3294. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the Matt Brown Show. It's been an absolute privilege having you with us. And remember, if you'd like more information on Digital Kung Fu or our guests and the full show notes, all you have to do is head on over to digitalkungfu.co.za and you can catch us all over the social media graph. So until next time.